Hello and welcome back to the 35th edition of the Rugby Paper podcast. One year late, the Women's Rugby World Cup 2021 has finally arrived and England got their campaign underway at the weekend with a resounding win over Fiji. Joining me to discuss all things Red Roses is England's most capped player, Rocky Clark, as well as Saturday's try-scoring hero, Claudia McDonald. This is definitely the earliest podcast recording we've done, but I'm with someone who's been, been away for quite a while. Claudia McDonald, how are you? Hi, yeah, very well, thank you. Yeah, we're opposite timings, aren't we? So it's always difficult to find a window that works. We really are. But I'm presuming that Rocky Clark, you've been away for quite a while knowing your sleep schedule. Yeah, I've been um, in South Africa. So I've uh, I just got back yesterday. So I, I kind of uh, trying to work my way out what day it is and everything. But we're all good. Feeling a bit jaded or not too bad? Uh, yeah, I don't think I slept for like two nights. So I was proper cross-eyed last night, but we're all good now. Was it a night flight back? Yeah. Okay. And no, no sleep. <laughs> well, welcome back. Was it ever on the table to fly out to New Zealand for the Rugby World Cup? Ah, uh, yeah, there was. Um, I would have just work um, here would have been really tough to get off, but yeah, would have would have loved to have been there. Claudia, how are you? Obviously, what day are we now? We're Tuesday, so a few days after the game, still reveling in well, especially your own personal success. <laughs> no, I think we've kind of. Well, we've obviously looked at the game a little bit. The body certainly can still feel the game, uh, but it's getting better. You know, it's getting less sore, so that's always good. Um, Fiji were very physical, very strong. Just a great opposition, really. But yeah, so had a had a first run around, I guess, today. Um, we have one of our sort of proper sessions, so it was good to get the body moving again. And how's morale in camp? Yeah, really good. Um, yeah, really positive, obviously good just to get the rugby underway uh it was nice just having been here we'd been here for nearly two weeks when we finally played a game of rugby so um it now feels like the world cup's happening it's you know we're we're really in it so yeah excited really to see what what else we can do obviously with the fiji game a lot of the report that's been having is there were maybe some nerves at the start a little bit of a slow start do you think that's accurate or do you think it was i don't know you always felt in cruise control to a point no, I think absolutely. I think if you if you speak to some of the players that have um, been at a couple of World Cups before in particular, um, they would sort of say that they would expect what happened in the first half to almost happen. In that, you know, there was loads of us that had never experienced that stage before, I guess. I mean, obviously, Six Nations has been enormous leading up to this and all internationals and everything else. But um, yeah, to have, for it just to be a World Cup and to be playing a team that we'd never faced before, yes, we'd watch them in footage, but to actually experience a totally different style of play was just, it was, it was a new challenge. And then you combine that with the nerves and the excitement of being out in New Zealand, out in a World Cup. I think there was, my, I think my heart was going at about 80 from the moment I woke up. So, <laughs> <laughs> rocketed. <laughs> Elaborate on what you mean by totally different style of play. Well, obviously, they, so Fiji obviously presented like a really sort of a physical challenge. You know, they had some hugely strong runners up front, some... You know, and then loads of pace, loads of power, and then a desire to sort of keep the ball alive. Um, and doesn't matter how much you sort of analyse that, you know, you can expect them to offload and, and to play, you know, to sort of move the ball away from rucks and try not to create rucks, try not to have set piece. There are a lot of quick line outs and quick taps and you can you can watch it, but actually experiencing it on a pitch is is slightly different. So yeah, it was it was just a slightly different style, and they were excellent at it, and certainly challenged us. Yeah, and obviously relieved to get underway. I know, obviously, you've had quite the journey yourself. Was it? It was about this time last year where your net you were potentially told you may not play again. Yeah, and yeah, so wasn't far off. Talk about the transition from that moment there to all of a sudden scoring four tries in the opening game <laughs> of a Rugby World Cup one year later. 
<laughs> yeah, I guess when you sort of look at it as two bookends, um, they look quite extreme. But um, as you know, having lived through it all, they all seem a little bit more progressive. So obviously, I picked up the neck injury back in um, the Autumn Internationals. So after playing the three games, the, f- the first three games, I then came out, was injured, had a few um, meetings, and, and the injury sort of progressed in how much. The more we learned about it, the more we realised how bad it was almost. And it got to the point where it was either have neck surgery, which, you know, had its own complications and everything else, um, or potentially never play again. It was kind of like a, you could wait, hope the neck might repair itself. It might do that in a year to year and a half. It might never do that, um, which is the option I ended up taking. And thankfully it was all, it, you know, it repaired itself all a lot quicker than anyone anticipated or imagined possible. So um, really grateful for all of that. So that took me to around May, June time, and then was able to throw myself into the England preseason and did a load of, you know, work with medical staff and everything else, getting my neck strengthened up and everything. But yeah, I was able to throw myself into that. And then fortunately, the end of all of that, managed to get selected. And then yeah selected for games too which was you know huge surprise really really grateful for the opportunities I've already had and as I've said like it's so much more than I would have anticipated a year ago when I was you know given news about my neck originally but now we're in it we always want more don't we (laughs) yeah well look that's really great to hear and in terms of was the World Cup always the end game with that I know obviously missing the Six Nations you know you probably felt that you were starting behind the eight ball just a little bit but was it always New Zealand was the goal this time last year I mean, pre the neck injury, yeah, it was always the goal. Yeah. But uh, as soon as I had the news about the neck, no, I'd very much written it off. I That was part of the decision in turning down surgery. I knew I was, or at the time anyway, I believed myself to be turning down um, the World Cup. So it was a really tough decision to have made. I didn't think I'd be playing for another, at the very earliest, for another couple of months, even from now. So, yeah, so to have got the news almost at the last minute that I could have got the news to be able to prepare and put my hand up for selection was, you know, it was amazing. Yeah. I love that. I think that's so, so great. So, well, huge credit (laughs) to you in terms of taking the necessary time out, but also I'm sure hitting rehab very hard. Now, Rocky, this is the first women's rugby union England world cup game that you haven't been at since 2002. How did that feel? What, well, presumably you were able to watch it somewhere in South Africa. How did it feel? Yeah, it's really different now. Obviously, I've got a different hat on. I've been to the last four and, uh, you know, there's mixed emotions. Obviously, you want the girls to do really well, but I'm also obviously sad to not not be there. But certainly, we're all back in the uh, the Red Roses and there's a, a WhatsApp group which includes all the um, Red Roses from f- throughout the year. So it's been really nice. We've, we've got this common camaraderie come together, looking after each other and, and just backing the girls has just been incredible. Yeah, I must admit it was quite a challenge to be able to watch the the rugby um, out there. And I was for about an hour trying to get on, uh, so I managed to get on at half time and then um, and then go back and watch the start. But yeah, what a uh, what a game to to see. Obviously, two two different halves and and to see Claude uh, just absolutely smash it was incredible. And and I think it was really good for England to be challenged in that first half and work them out and then obviously you know put them to bed in the second half was was great and testament to their the the training they've done their fitness and everything they've, they've gone through over the last sort of two years um but yeah it's certainly a different hat but one uh, I'm still really excited to, to to be involved with in terms of commentating and doing different bits and be involved so yeah it's uh it's quite quite different 
So you were actually a good omen on Saturday then. As soon as you turned on, it, the scoring rate went up to about a point a minute. Well, maybe, yeah. Maybe I'll More get told that. not to watch it for a, for a little <laughs> bit and then I'll have to come on. And in terms of fronting up, how do you feel against a big, strong, physical Fiji pack? How do you think England did? Obviously, it took some adjustments. There's a certain 20-year-old flanker that I'd like to talk about, which we'll get onto in a second. But how do you feel like we fronted up? Yeah, I think, as Claude said earlier, it's always always a shock. You can prepare as much as possible. But when when you actually you face, um, you know, they're, they're some big old units that play for Fiji and they're, um, they're certainly physical as well as hugely skillful and playing a bit of basketball as well. I think England really fronted up in the end. I think it was a bit of a shock to begin with. Um, and then when they adjusted it, got their defensive setting right, I think, um, you know, they, they were really relentless. I remember watching them um, when Fiji were on their line and the defensive pressure from England, like there must have been about 10 players flying up at them. And I thought, yeah, they've got it now. So certainly uh, they've adjusted. They need to continue, especially on the on the big girls, get the double tackle in, try and stop them getting any momentum but you know and keep that connection and the bit of width as well which at times got a little bit narrow so definitely think uh, it's something that England will have worked on in terms of France because France will be watching closely at the opportunities that are there. Yeah obviously that's that's very much to look forward to. Now let's talk about um, Sadia Kabea. 20 years old coming into a World Cup team drafted in over you know one of England's form players in Marley, Marley Packer who obviously has a foot injury. I'm hoping she's doing okay. Ben Jaycock in an article for the rugby paper highlighted that Maggie Alfonsi had come out and said that Sadia is better than her. What do you make of that, Rocky? It's early days to be saying something like that. I know we've known about her for a while and she certainly came good on Saturday. Yeah, the, the, she's a young kid, bags of talent, physical. I remember seeing her play when she was younger and I thought this kid's going to be special. And and for Maggie to say that, you know, you can see a, a little gem uh, early on and and you know how well she's doing at 20 you look at her where she's going to be sort of 25 where she's going to be and competing with the best in the world Molly Packer who's only got better with age as well I just I think you know if you're if you're even challenging for that shirt you're doing bloody well against uh, Molly Packer so for sure I think there's you know the future of England rugby is is really exciting we've got a lot of youngsters a lot of debutants in the in the game um the World Cup now so I think the next uh, 10 years are going to be pretty special as as well as this year. Do you think I know with the back row there's obviously scope where it doesn't necessarily matter in uh, sometimes what number you have on your back do you think there's scope for Marley Packer and Kabea to play in the same back row? Oh yeah for sure you know it, it depends on the type of game that you want as well like you know we know how um, quick over the ball Marley is um, you can play him six and seven doesn't doesn't matter which way or left and right really doesn't matter you you can certainly do that but when you've got the likes of sort of Alex Matthews, Poppy Cleo, Sarah Hunter, all those guys as well. Simon Middleton's just laughing how he's picking his back row. It just it doesn't matter what combination you do, they're they're gonna be world class. Claudia, how is Marley? Is she doing okay? Yeah, she's doing really, really well. Yeah. I think all, all, everything's going really well for her. And in one of the more notable tries at the weekend was Abby Dow. Obviously, we speak about coming back from injury. Abby Dow broke her leg. In the Six Nations, and all of a sudden, it's what it's less than six months later, or no, about six months later, and she's back scoring in a Rugby World Cup opening game or Red Roses opening game. Now, you probably saw a, lot, a decent amount of her journey and can relate to some of that struggle. Talk about the sort of the euphoria of a moment like that for her. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Abby just she barely had a smile off of her face at any point. You know, she was so excited to be out on the pitch really just loved being back out there having the challenge 
you know, she's she's a rugby player who absolutely loves just playing rugby and being competitive. And she's worked incredibly hard over the last couple of months, you know, like almost like a full time job in rehab. She's been there sort of all day, every day, all week in the pool, in the gym, what bike sessions that look absolutely horrendous. Yeah, she's worked her absolute socks off to get back to, you know, not only just competing at a World Cup, but back to her top form at a World Cup, which for the injury and, and how bad it was you know would would seem impossible for so many people um so yeah she she really has she's really pushed herself beyond a lot of boundaries <laughs> and she's felt it for definite um but hopefully now she's thinking it's all worth it you're right about top form because she certainly had plenty to do with that try and it doesn't seem like she's lost a step obviously a, a winger's worry may be with an injury like that that you lose a bit of pace i'm guessing she's clocking the same times in sprints in training and all that yeah she certainly seems to be um i wouldn't know the exact numbers but yeah, I mean, you always worry coming back from an injury, but then at the end of the day, you end up putting almost hypertension into, you know, the strength in, in, in both legs. So you end up with a more balanced almost strength and power output than you did pre-injury potentially. So she certainly come back with loads of attention on explosive power and strength and everything else. So if anything, she's probably stronger than she was before. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, I wouldn't be surprised. Now let's look at some of the other fixtures at the weekend. Obviously, France are coming up this weekend. New Zealand Black Ferns obviously are reigning champions and can never rule them out despite a slightly rocky year. Now, they both had their sort of high points and low points at the weekend. Now, let's start with the Black Ferns. Shaky first half, Rocky 17-0 down. Probably more of a crisis than the Red Roses first half, certainly. Do you think that was typical host syndrome in the first half and then they, they got into their, the swing of things in the second? Yeah, it's always, there's a lot of pressure on you when you're the, you know, the home, um, the World Cup home side, it, there is a lot of pressure, but they just took a while to to get into it, didn't they? And, and any team, like Claudia had said, they were expecting it to be a bit uh, tough in the first half. Any team that goes into it with loads of pressure on their shoulders takes a little while because you've got to think for everyone else who's playing them, it's their World Cup final against the New Zealands, the Englands, the Frances. So they're throwing absolutely everything at it that they've done for the last you know year and a half that there's certainly going to be some challenges for for these uh potential dominant teams but once um New Zealand got themselves sorted and uh, got the ball out wide and and were able to settle they were they certainly were you know forced to be reckoned with is it enough to to get them all the way well that that's the interesting part of the journey and you've had all the extra Coaches come in and who've obviously clearly made a difference, but certainly that wouldn't be on the, uh, the storyboard to, to go 17-0 down against Australia. You do think the coaches have made a difference in terms of performance. You see something a little bit different to when England beat them convincingly this time last year. Yeah, you've got to you've got to take into account as well. The players are going to be really hurt because they've been, you know, dominant on the world stage for so long. And to get beaten by such a margin is is really um yeah, uncharacteristic for them. So, I think they've um, they've gone away, looked at themselves, and and put so much time in. And and these coaches, yeah, they they have made a difference. Is it enough? Less than a year of the coaches being in, probably not. But certainly, it's going to improve them. And and anything can happen at a World Cup. That's the beauty of a World Cup. Claudia, the sort of headline players from the Black Ferns game ended up being Portia Woodman and Ruby Tui, who scored some pretty impressive tries between the two of them. How do you feel about lining up potentially opposite those wingers? And, how, you know, I know you've got some out-and-out pace yourself, as do a lot of it, well, all of England's wingers, but how do you go about defending it as well? 
yeah, I mean, to be honest, facing up against anyone, I, I just get excited about it. You know, that's why you want to play rugby at the highest level. You want to be competing against the best teams and the best individuals in the world at, at any opportunity because that's what that's when you really work out what you're made of and what, you know, how far you can push yourself, how far the team can push themselves. So certainly from my point of view, I get excited by an opportunity, I guess, to play against them. And, you know, you'd like to hope that they they think the same about, about us, about, you know, playing against England. But yeah, I guess you just have to, you know, a wing, a wing is only as good as how much ball they're able to get. So, you know, for, for us anyway, it's it, so much of that work comes from our forward pack and it always will do and it always has about cutting the ball down early, you know, stopping at a source, getting loads of pressure on. So, yeah, so, and, and the, same, the same's an attack, you know, it's, some amazing passes from Maud um, and loads of other forwards and players around me as well that, you know, sets up, sets you up in attack. So it's on um, both sides of the ball. But yeah, I guess if they've got the ball out wide, then absolutely I'm happy for a one-on-one, but hopefully we can stop it before it even gets there. You hand on heart mean that the better the winger, the more you look, you look forward to defending against them. Yeah, I think so. That's why, you know, <laughs> that's why we're competitive, aren't we? Yeah. I think you, everybody, everybody here is competitive. They want to be, you know, I want to be competing with the best wingers in the world because I want to be putting my hand up to be one of the best. And I can only work out where I sit and where I am amongst that if I'm playing against the best. Yeah. And I only can I can only keep improving my game if I'm challenging myself at, at that level. Brilliant. And in terms of France, Laurence scored a brace. Obviously, we know what she offers. She's obviously hanging up her boots at the end of this tournament. Claudia, has the team reviewed the French performance against the Springboks? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, France is a slightly different flavour to uh, to Fiji in that we come up against them quite a lot. You know, we obviously face them in Six Nations and then we face them a couple of times more in autumn games as well. So there are more familiar faces, I guess, when it comes to playing England versus France. So we know more about how they play, what sort of traits are of players. Having said that, obviously, we've looked at them again had a look at how they played against South Africa. They, A lot of kicking is what I will say. <laughs> they seem to be, you know, slightly freer with the ball. Hopefully playing against Fiji has sort of prepared us well for that one. Rocky, how did you find the France performance as, a, as an early marker in terms of biggest threats for the Red Roses? Yeah, we, we know what France bring. They're, they're physical, they're exciting, they're, they're, they're kicking uh, ball out of hand. It's just you know, on uh, on point. So it's it's going to be obviously a challenge, and I think one that Red Roses will will really relish. I think that first half against Fiji was absolutely key to their success this this weekend of um, coming up against a physical pack, physical team that are going to you know really bring it. And and you know the French absolutely hate us, and you know the Red Roses absolutely relish that. So that's going to be something that yeah, it's just going to give the the Red Roses another sort of ten percent in the bank and. And they'll have to work them out. And, you know, it's up for the, the the big time players to really put their hands up. And, you know, if Claude gets the nod and, and plays against uh, the tough back line that France possess, I think, you know, it's another stepping stone to, to the end goal. But certainly um, I think it will come with its challenges, but certainly a game to be uh, to be reviewed and looked at and everyone's going to be yeah, excited for it. Claudia, I'm not going to ask you what the team is, but has the team actually been announced to the squad yet? Yeah, we know it internally. Okay, okay. All right, good stuff. I want to talk about the favourites tag a little bit because I don't think, and I think, Rocky, you'll agree, there has ever been such an overwhelming favourite. But what do you make of that favourites tag and how it can change dynamic? I know the Red Roses were favourites in 2017 and obviously came up short against 
the Black Ferns. They're not defending champions, but they are favourites. Did you feel a difference between 2014-2017? 20, actually, to be truly honest, at 2014, I, I wasn't um, convinced we were going to win. In 2010, I'd have put my house on that we would have won, and obviously we lost in the final there, and that was uh, that was really, really hard pill to swallow, 13-10. Um, 2014, we knew there was probably five or six teams there that could really uh, put their hand up. And as I said earlier, any team could beat any team on a given day. And that, and that's when New Zealand got knocked out and we we played Canada in the final. We went into 2017 with you know huge confidence. We'd gone down to New Zealand and beat them in their own backyard 2016. But I think that probably spurred New Zealand on to really do every little last bit of homework to, to know what what our flaws were from that game. And then at, at halftime, New Zealand changed their attack against us in 2017 with the, big, the pick and goes and the big ball carries going through the middle. And, you know, we just couldn't stop their momentum. And, and that obviously gave them the win in the end. This team now, I'll probably put my house on it again, that they uh, they would be, they'll be world champions in however many weeks it's going to be. But they just need to make sure that they keep, sticking to their process and, and doing what they do well, working out the opposition and then and then putting the threats away. Like you've got the likes of Claude, uh, Lydia on the wings. You need to get the ball to those girls who are absolutely rapid, but make sure you give it them in space. And we've got our big, big carriers, the Bottomans, the Poppies, who are getting such good front foot ball for our backs. You know, it should be an armchair ride because the opposition have got so many people to to make those tackles on these um these front foot ball carriers that it's uh gives our backs loads of space and yeah I think the tag the Red Roses are taking on really well that you know 26 games unbeaten really in fine form and and that that mall is absolutely monstrous you can guarantee at least two or three tries every game from that forwards mall and it's just so hard to stop I think that game gives us the foothold we need to get into the games and then once we break them down there's loads of space for our rapido back three Claudia, in terms of the favourites, Tiger, you've obviously got a bigger target on your back this year than the Red Rose or any team has ever had in a World Cup, probably. Is there much discourse in camp around how you're handling that? And obviously the likes of Sarah Hunter, Emily Scarrett, sort of ensuring that the pressure that could come from that doesn't manifest in a negative way. I mean, I'm not sure England at any World Cup has got many fans from other nations in general. <laughs> um, so I'm not sure any other team particularly wants us to win games. I certainly want to be the ones to beat us anyway. But no, I think for us anyway, we're certainly not focused on anything other than the game that we're on at the time. You know, so this week it's all about France and we treat every game as if it is the World Cup final, you know. Every game is as important as every other one. Um, and we're certainly not getting ahead of, ahead of ourselves and thinking about, you know, pre-planning anything beyond um, the week that we're in, which I think is really important because one, it lets you stay really focused and, and driven for that game. And also, you know, you don't get sort of taken away with all the everything else going on around you and sort of expectations of other people. You know, obviously, we all want to come here and win. But everybody does. It's a World Cup. You know, everybody wants to be the team that wins the World Cup. Um, and as Rocky says, it is a World Cup and anything can happen. You know, anyone can lose. You know, one loss could mean the end of your World Cup at any time, which is a scary concept as well. But no, I think we've just been, our, our coaching staff have been very, very good at sort of keeping focused and not pre-planning anything really. One thing that has been spoken about with the Road Roses is a perfect performance and I think what's almost scary about your 26 wins in a row, I don't think you could sort of pick out a, a performance where it's just been a flawless 80 minutes. 
is that a goal of Simon Middleton's to be able to do that? Or do you think that there's a detrimental pressure to that viewpoint? No, I don't think, I think if you're looking for an 80 minute performance, you're looking for a perfection, you know, you're looking for perfection in a game that's not made for that. It is, you know, rugby is such an imperfect game because as much as you can design and plan things and uh, aim to achieve things, there's a whole other team trying to stop you doing exactly that. And the quality of opposition defences is only getting better, which makes attacking against that even harder. And on the reverse of that, you know, attacks from other teams are becoming better, which is challenging us and, and forcing us to problem solve as well. So I think, have we produced 80-minute performance? I think we have produced 80-minute performances. Do they look perfect to the outside eye? No, absolutely not. But if you take the Fiji game as an example, could we have put out the second half performance without the first half? Probably not, no. Because the first half was a lot of, you know, hard graft, problem solving, working out how Fiji were attacking, where we could break them down, you know, what parts of our game were really working, what parts of our game weren't. And you need that sort of problem solving part you know hopefully in hindsight we could have hopefully have shortened that and made it you know <laughs> scored a few more points in the first half but it's still a hugely critical and important part for the second half performance as well so yeah arguably that was also an 80 minute performance even though it looks totally totally different yeah yeah and now before we go on to the 15 quickfire questions rocky next time you're on this podcast i may not be able to introduce you as england's most capped player ever <laughs> Now, I know we had Sarah Hunter on here last time you were on, but now that she's one away from equaling your record, is there a little message you'd like to send her out to New Zealand? Yeah, I like Sarah's an incredible athlete, a good friend, and you know, there's there's nobody else I'd rather give the, the mantle across to. She's she epitomizes in English rugby. She's a great leader and you know, I'm proud to call her a friend and teammate. And you know, records are there to be broken and to hand the baton over would be a, a great privilege to give it to Sarah Hunter, one of my teammates and good friends. So go well, Sarah, and enjoy it. And a, a beer waiting for her when she's back. 100%. I'll be the first to buy her a beer, probably a bottle of champagne too. <laughs> okay, well, we've gone on the record and said that now. <laughs> right. I have. Before we get to, I want to talk about, obviously, the idea that this is a record-breaking World Cup and... Uh, Sarah Hunter has said that it'll be the best World Cup there's ever been. I want to get on to that. But before we do that, Claudia, let's do your random rugby 15. Are you ready? Yeah. Um, I can't remember all the questions or what my answers were. Well, no, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll read the questions to you, I guess. You know, speak from the heart. Okay, cool. N- nickname? Claude. Best rugby memory? Um, I'm going to go with last week. Or, no, can I change it? Or, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going with two. Last week, because the World Cup was really cool, and the first game against New Zealand, because all of my family were there, and that was amazing. Yeah, nice. And hope, hopefully that the answer to that question will be different in a few weeks. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Most embarrassing rugby memory? Uh, at university, I tried to score a try on the five metre. Nice. You're the yeah. first, We've had that before, but it's all been from forwards who have done that. Rocky, it's you've bad. done that as well, haven't you? I've done it loads of times, yeah. yeah. Start celebrating. <laughs> yeah. Like, Damn it! <laughs> yeah, full like full on excited, and then you get done for a knock on. Great. Yeah. Pre-game tune. Uh, Unstoppable by Sia. Nice. Post-game meal. Uh, whatever's on offer, but if by choice, I'd have some chicken strips and <laughs> wedges. <laughs> <laughs> Best player you've played against. I'm gonna go with. Oh, this is controversial. I'm gonna go with Marley Packer because she really gets in my head as well, and she is a bit of a game changer. In what way does she get in your head? Oh, you know how she is. She's just really feisty and she's just really good at what she does. 
Um, and as a scrum half, it's really frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Best player you've played with? I'm going with Katie Daly McLean when I was at DMP Sharks as a winger fullback because I learned so much from her in just that one season. Favourite player right now? I'm cheating around this question because I'm going for my girlfriend, Cleena Maloney. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely a cheat, but I'll allow it. Rugby idol? See, I didn't really watch a whole lot of women's rugby growing up. I watched men's rugby, so I'm, I'm sticking with Johnny Wilkinson. Nice. Favourite stadium? Sandy Park, which is a bit of a new one, but because of the New Zealand win and coming back yeah. to it, I played USA, so that was my first game back after my neck injury too. And now it's my home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice. Favourite gym exercise? It used to be squats, but now it is chin-ups. Sarah Hunter said exactly the same. You obviously like chin-ups in the Red Roses camp. <laughs> Occupation if rugby didn't exist? Working in some sort of business, sustainability, making companies more sustainable. Nice. Superstitions? Yeah, I didn't used to have any, but now I have a certain set of underwear that I have to wear for every game. When did that start? When I came back from my neck. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, I just have one sports bra and a pair of pants I have to wear. <laughs> Rugby law you would change? Uh, controversial, and Rocky's probably going to hate me for this one, but I'm going with option, like choice of numbers in a scrum. So you can choose a three, five or eight person scrum. Whoa, that's a new one. Rocky, thoughts on that? Very bizarre, but give it a go. <laughs> yeah, you just treat it like a line out, you know, then you can have a... You know, a few more moves but, off of it. But can't, I, don't know. Um, I remember, like, most of the time, Katie would call a scrum because it meant all the forwards are out the way for the backs. If you've got loads of forwards milling in the back line, then you're not going to get that ball here. Well, yeah, but then you go for an eight-person scrum. So wouldn't you just always... See? <laughs> yeah. I don't know, just the thought. It's, hey, I'll give it a go. Sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> Claudia, is that to say that as a winger, you've never got annoyed at a forward being in the way? No, I actually have that. So, yeah, I'm almost half regretting it now. But, um, yeah, I'm, sti- I'm sticking like with it. Would you call it a 10-man scrum? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, basically, can we have a 14-person scrum? <laughs> you just a one-on-one with Portia Woodman. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Sure, I've got back myself now, haven't I? Yeah, right. Cool. Yeah, back yourself. <laughs> Want to be the best in the world. Right. Well, lastly, best thing about working in rugby? You get to travel the world and meet people from all over the world with all your mates. Great stuff. Well, that was a particularly efficient uh, random rugby 15, with the exception of the three, five and eight man scrum. <laughs> or 14. 14 people yeah. scrum. OK, <laughs> uh, you're, you're standing by that. Selective numbers. You can yeah. choose how many people you put in the scrum. OK, all right. <laughs> how would a 14 people scrum look? I don't know. It's going to have to be... I don't, I don't know, I don't know if three, you just five, have... eight. What are you going to have at the back? Another two at the back. You can have a ten person and then you just chuck four number eights in. I'm not sure. Maybe like a diamond formation. <laughs> uh, yeah, mm, it's, it's great to picture, to be fair. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure about how the injuries would be. God, that would be absolute carnage. I hope we don't ever see that happen, Claudia, in the nicest <laughs> way possible. <laughs> right, back to the World Cup. Um, <laughs> opening day breaking attendance for a women's world cup game now rocky you're in a better place than almost anyone speak about the transition between you know you played in an opening world cup game in 2006 now i have no idea how an opening i was seven years old i've no idea how an opening world cup game in 2006 looked so just tell us the sort of explain the distinctions between the two versus what we saw on saturday 
yeah, obviously, uh, firstly, the, the the shapes of players was very different. You know, you look at the team now and, and anyone could be any position. You've got, uh, yeah, props that look like centres, centres that look like wingers or back row. Like the, 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 the athletes that are out there now are just insane. Um, the amount of people that were, were watching, you know, you sort of gets just families over watching pretty much who've, who've travelled the world and um, and a few few locals, but now obviously sellout stadiums is uh, in, incredible. Yeah, I think it, it, it's massively changed in terms of the coverage and the, the, the social media aspect that comes with it, but the... Um, yeah, the excitement for all the players is still the same. You know, the the buzz to get your your first game underway and and, and represent your country is is massive. But certainly the the amount of support on and off the off the pitch who are literally there and and back home and you know these these girls are live on on ITV now, which is pretty incredible. And my mum, who's an absolute technophobe, is able to watch the game and. I'm the only person who struggled out in South Africa, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's incredible the support now. Where did you play opening games in back in 2006? I, am I right in reading about makeshift stands and things like that, rather yeah. than full-on, you know, Eden Park stadiums? Yeah, it was um, it was out in Canada where um, we had to get like makeshift stands put up. Yeah, for sure. And then the, um, the guys who were filming had to be up high on on these like rickety old stands and things and there wasn't hardly any seats for people and stuff so yeah it wasn't it wasn't the sort of 40,000 crowd capacity no one of the goals of the organizers has been to sell out Eden Park for the final which I'm I think I'm right in saying is 50,000 capacity do you see that happening depends who's in the final I'd probably say um, yeah home country if they're in the final, I think, yeah, we absolutely could and, and probably won't be far off. There's going to be a lot of people that have already bought their tickets anyway, regardless of who's in the final. And I certainly know a lot of people who've gone to New Zealand or are doing the whole whole stint um, as, as just, you know, rugby supporters, not not friends or family. They, they've just gone out to watch uh, some amazing rugby. So, yeah, that, that certainly has the potential. And let's, let's really hope that it does, because that would be absolutely banging to to run out and see some amazing rugby and and a sellout crowd would be insane and obviously without looking too far ahead we're looking towards filling Twickenham in 2025 so I think do you feel that selling out Eden Park would be a real sort of stepping stone in getting to that that moment in 2025 yeah absolutely as we look at the um Lionesses I was lucky enough to go to the uh to the Euros and and support them and their sellout crowds it was mad like 89,000 was just rocking and I think we have the potential to to fill out Twickenham for sure and it's just the Red Roses have a lot on their back to be able to to get um to get keep growing the game um by how they play and how they're they're so accessible with fans and obviously social media has a has a huge importance to to get in the the message out there and and this World Cup's going to grow the game for sure and we're going to see loads of new players who are taking up the game after this. I think we have massive potential to fill it, um, but we've just got to keep yeah, getting these crowds and we keep breaking all these records. There was loads broken through the Six Nations and and through club, club land as well in the, in the Premiership. There's records broken all the time. And, and it just, you know, as I said earlier, records are there to be broken and, 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 and why not? 
Claudia, how do you feel? A lot of comparisons have been made to the Lionesses. Obviously, that started something of a, of a movement back in the summer. How do you feel about those sorts of comparisons? And can you look to the Lionesses as sort of inspiration? I know the time difference above all is probably the biggest issue in terms of starting that movement. And we may have to wait till the World Cup in 2025 for something similar. But do you like the fact that that comparison is being made? Yeah, absolutely. I think I certainly do anyway. Um, I think the Lionesses were just amazing with, you know, how they dealt with the competition too. So again, that kind of like they seem, you got to know the players so much more than you would just watching any any team. I mean, I'm not a big I'm not a big football fan. I, I've never really watched it in my life. And I could name the entire Lionesses squad like in a heartbeat, you know, and I absolutely adored watching them play and I really got behind them. And the football they were playing was exciting too. And you got to know, as I said, like you get to know the stories behind the players. And I think we're going in that way Absolutely. You know, as Rocky says, through social media, we've also had the Red Roses documentary that came out that aired on ITV, all of the games being shown on ITV. You know, there's been so much buy-in from so many other different companies as well, because hopefully the brand of rugby that we're playing as well is watchable and, and has people engaged and has people wanting to play themselves. So, yeah, I mean, I think if we can follow in the way of the Lionesses, then I think it's only going to get better. And even even as you look at the progress that's been made in the last couple of years like since I've been involved with the setup the crowds that are being achieved now are just so much bigger than what there was even four years ago and what sort of a difference as yeah someone who played four years ago what sort of a difference does that make coming out of the tunnel or whatever and just hearing that wall of noise versus what it was four years ago yeah it's huge I mean it, it almost doesn't matter which way the I mean it does it makes a difference obviously whether it's a home crowd and away crowd but just hearing the excitement of people as they're watching the game and they're really engaged with the game you can hear it like on the pitch if a massive hit goes in you can hear the <gasps> in the crowds because it's echoed throughout so many people um, and you can hear the cheering and the, and the excitement that people feel when the ball goes out wide or when someone makes a break which is amazing because people are really paying attention you know they're really enjoying watching the game of rugby they're not just there because you know, they happen to be there or they happen to have tickets or the company happens to be going. Everybody that's there seems to be so engaged with actually watching the sport, which I think is really positive um, for women's rugby that we have fans that are genuine fans of women's rugby. But yeah, and, and as a player on the pitch, when you're absolutely knackered and you're chasing down or, um, you know, you've, you're really trying to push through how tired you're feeling just to hear the crowd behind you certainly gives you that extra edge and that extra bit of go forward. The last thing I want to talk about is it was introduced by Chris Hewitt's most recent column on the uh, Women's Rugby World Cup for the rugby paper, and that's about competitive score lines. I'll explain the sort of direction of his article is that, you know, those sorts of cricket scores is the sort of cliche people use aren't necessarily that good from a spectator's perspective. And I think there are two sides to it. One is, yeah, we'd love to see close games. Obviously, I know you want to win the World Cup and you take winning the World Cup by 50 nil in a heartbeat. But Rocky, I'll come to you about this. Is that, you know, one of your main worries about this World Cup is that certainly there may not be competitive games until the semifinals or is the flip side of it saying, okay, we'll look at three years of professional investment. It may then encourage other teams to do the same. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I prefer when games are a, a lot tighter, but, you know, you can see how the three years of professionalism has really impacted the Red Roses and, and how they are light years ahead of everybody. However, we're starting to see with the, the likes of the other nations that are just starting to go professional, just even being professional for three or six months, 
how they're, they're becoming really dynamic athletes, the, the game's improving. And, and I think it just, it bodes well for the future. You know, I would like a, a much more competitive Six Nations, you know, and I've certainly, I've been on the side of cricket scores. Um, I've also been on the side of, you know, getting a 21-20 win over France and how much that means and how exciting it is to be a part of, as well as for spectators. For spectators, I think it is more exciting to, to see the, the, the tighter games and if it goes right down to the wire in the last play. However, the brand of, of rugby that the Red Rose is playing are, is just just so good. And, um, you know, we just we just need the, the rest of the world to sort of springboard and, and catch up. And, and with professionalism, that will happen. But, you know, you can't take anything away from the brand of rugby the Red Roses are playing. They're just phenomenal how they use their forwards, punch it up, create the holes, or they uh, use the forwards to, to pull it out the back and then get it wide. And and the, the finishing by these girls is just insane. You know, the footwork and the, and the little gaps that wingers are getting down the, the sideline, ma- managing to dance their way down the touchline is, 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 you know, a work of art. So that's pleasing for anyone to see, unless you're the opposition winger who's getting round round or handed off. But for sure, it's, um, yeah, I think it needs to be closer, but we can't take anything away from how good the Red Roses are and, and how exciting they are to watch. And Claudia, I hope you don't mind me asking you, but would you feel that in terms of progressing the women's game as a whole and other nations hopefully looking to invest that the Red Roses winning the tournament is actually best for the women's game because it says okay for everyone else to keep up it's you know it's a necessity for all the main rugby playing nations obviously I want us to win the World Cup anyway for the state that it makes in itself but absolutely from an investment point of view it paints a very good picture and that's not to take away from the work and the effort that still goes from the players you know we're still very much a product of how hard we're willing to work as is you know every team and a contract isn't a you know a full-time setup isn't fast track pass to um you know winning games and everything else you've still got to work incredibly hard to get to that form but it is I think an essential part of the game progressing and as we say creating those far more competitive fixtures which is what we all want you know as players we want to be playing hugely competitive fixtures and as fans that's what you want to see too you know you want to see the level of skill and fitness and strength and power on display to be as high as as possible on both sides of the ball speaking of hugely competitive fixtures we've obviously got Le Crunch coming up which is certainly being billed as one of the games of the group stage we've already looked at France a little bit we know what they offer just before we wrap up Rocky, can I get a score prediction very quickly? Um, I'm going to go 34-17 to England. Claudia, can you stick your neck out with a score prediction? Oh, these things scare me. Um, (laughs) I'm going to go, oh, 31-21. Okay, all right, great. So quite similar, actually. I, I, I think I'd echo that sentiment. Okay, well, look, we'll wrap up there, guys. Claudia, I hope the rest of the World Cup and your time in New Zealand is... Absolutely fantastic. And I'm sure that you're living every moment to the absolute, absolute fullest. Uh, So, yeah, good luck with France if you're involved and obviously the rest of the World Cup. Yeah, hopefully we'll be seeing the Red Roses lift the trophy in a few weeks' time. And Rocky, hopefully I will see you soon. Thanks very much. much. Thank you. Well done, Claude. See you later. Once again, wishing the Red Roses all the best on their journey in New Zealand. And let's hope to see them lifting the trophy in a few weeks' time. Just a reminder that you can get yourself a copy of the Rugby Paper in stores on Sundays or delivered to you through our digital subscription. Next week, joining us on the podcast is none other than New Zealand Hall of Famer, Sean Fitzpatrick. 